Hey, it's episode number two of How I Got This Gig. Today on the podcast, I talk with supervising producer and music video director Amit Debray about how he parlayed his experience as a musician into a career in television. It's a journey that took him from India to Singapore, Hong Kong, and Dubai before finally settling down in Toronto, Canada. So let's get started. Hey, how are you? It is episode two of How I Got This Gig. As I mentioned, today I'm talking with Amit Debray. Amit works for Bell Media here in Canada. It's a huge media conglomerate, and it operates a ton of channels like CTV, Much Music, Comedy Network, TSN, Bravo, Space. Amit is also a music video director, and he's directed videos for the Arkells, Lights, and the Sam Roberts Band, just to name a few. So we got together and we discussed a whole bunch of stuff, his story of how he got started and broke in, as well as, you know, what it's like working with artists. Uh, Also, how age affects us creatively or or the fears that seem to creep up on us uh, as creative people and, and how we deal with that. And we also talk about being disruptive in order to advance your career. So it's a really great conversation. So you're going to want to stick around for that. Hey, if you're looking to up the quality of your video productions, then come on over to videotwins.com. We've got all kinds of tips and tricks and hacks and resources there that you can use to uh, improve the quality of your videos. Uh, One of the most popular items is our video production toolkit, which outlines all the toys, I mean, or uh, gear that we use to make the videos that we produce. And inside, we showcase all the lenses, the lights, sliders, drones, whatever we're using, and we give you a little bit of background on each one, telling you why we use it and how we use it best. So it's only available at videotwins.com, so head on over there and download our 2017 edition video production toolkit. That's again at videotwins.com. Okay, so it's episode two, and you might not know much about me and my story, But I'm hoping that my story will slowly reveal itself over the course of this podcast series and come out in stories and antidotes, you know, as I chat with my guests. But uh, we're also thinking of maybe having Berman, my video twin, interview me so that you can hear my story kind of straight from the beginning to where I am right now. But in the meantime, I will say that where I'm at currently is that I own and operate a small video production company. It's called Rainy Media. You can check us out online, rainymedia.com. And I have a small team, three young people, is Holly, Gus, and, and Ryan. And they work for me. And they've been working for me a couple of years now. And they're the team that helped me put all the videos together for my clients. So the reason I bring this up is that I had booked time to go and interview a meet in Toronto. Uh, and we're not located in Toronto. We are about an hour and a half outside of Toronto in the country. It's really where my team prefers to be and and my wife. So those are the important people in my life. So that's why we're based out here. Uh, But we do a lot of work in the city and around the world. But uh, so I had this interview time booked with Amit and I thought, oh, he works at Much Music. Well, that's cool. Let's see if we can get a tour of Much Music. Maybe he'll take us around and we can see all the broadcast facilities there. So I contacted Amit and he was cool with that. So I thought, okay, great. This will be our mid-year trip. 
uh, we'll, we'll load up the, the van and we'll take everybody to the city and we'll, we'll have some, some food. And uh, we've also got some freelancers that I work with in the city and we'll kind of all like to get together and have a, a dinner once a year. And so that's what we did. Uh, we took the day off and we, I took the team sort of as a sort of reward for all their hard work through the, throughout the year. And we headed into the city. Uh, we had a great uh, hipster lunch with some hipster pizza. And then we checked out some uh, record stores, and uh, the team picked up some vinyl. And I'm like, wow, the things are really changing. It was actually, I was considering buying some vinyl. It was, uh, it's pretty cool. I think I might, I might do that. You know, just because you can get the artwork, and you can really sit there and read the lyrics and, and enjoy sort of the tracks and the set list order that's on the album that maybe the producer or the artist intended, instead of just listening to random singles or whatever. So getting off track here as I as I tend to do but anyways so we were driving from one section of town to where much music is which is in the Bell Media building which is 299 Queen Street I think it used to be the real hipster and now it's all gentrified and now it's uh, just yuppieville but anyways so as we were driving um, I got excited because I saw a big film set Toronto's a big city they shoot a lot of movies and TV shows and I said to the team, all right, everybody, look out the left window. Look, look at, here's the pylons. They're, pylons mean the film set's coming up. And sure enough, we looked up and there was the camera truck and the food truck and all the RVs and everything lined up. And you don't know much about my story, but you will hear it one day. But I will say to you that at one point in my career, I had an awful lot of anxiety every time I came across a film shoot when I was living in Toronto. Um, it's because when I started out, my very first job in the industry, in film and television, was doing craft service. And craft service is, it's not really catering, it's not lunch, it's not dinner, but it's all the snacks in between. And uh, I had this job, I had a big cube van, and I would drive it, I had to go to the, to the shop and pick it up, and it would be loaded with, a, it had all the food that I would need all day, it had fridges, and it had a stove, and microwaves, and I could make all kinds of snacks and small meals throughout the day. And it was my responsibility to keep the crew fed. And I did one movie, uh, a movie of the week to start. It was my first one. It was starring and directed by Brian Dennehy, and he was awesome. The whole shoot was great. Uh, Brian was first class. Uh, He really uh, was one of the only people, kind of as we say, above the line, like a producer, director, or talent, that actually talked with a a lot of people below the line, especially me. He was very interested in what I had done and uh, gave me some great advice. I wrapped that shoot, got a great tip from the crew because they just thought I did so well filming them. The next movie I went on to, oh my goodness, it was a movie called Elvis Meets Nixon, and this is like late 90s. And uh, the director of that one was an American guy. He had done rock and roll high school. That was his claim to fame. Anyways, he did not like me. For some reason, he did not like me. Our standard protocol was for me to serve uh, a tray of food around to the crew at least every hour. At least every hour, come around, show myself, uh, give him a snack. He wanted it every half an hour. And then he wanted it every 15 minutes. And he kept not complaining to me, but complaining to the um, production manager, who would then say to me, oh, you know, Dean, uh, we don't know what's going on. We know you're really good. We we had good recommendation from the last film crew that you worked with, and and this one, hmm, this director's just a little tough, and he needs you to bring out more food more often. And I was like, wow, there's got to be a limit to how much I can do. Um, It was a movie where there was a lot of makeup, so there was a very, very, very early call, and I was not unionized, so I had to be there for that very, very, very early call time for that makeup. 
And so my day was starting at like 3.30 in the morning and we were going till like 10 at night. So I was getting like four hours turnaround. And because I wasn't union, there was no penalty that they had to pay or anything. I didn't get any extra money. I just, you know, a couple bucks a, an hour on top of that. So I was exhausted. And then on top of that, the, the, the director was just riding me to be bringing snacks to him all the time. And I still had another hundred people I still had to try to feed for the rest of the crew. And then the the gaffer, Billy, I don't remember his last name, but he's a, he was a gaffer and he was he was a bit of an ass. I know he was allergic to onions and I tried my best to get... Uh, food and snacks that didn't have any onions, but sometimes the people at the shop where the kitchens were that prepped my stuff, they didn't really do a very good job on their end of keeping onions out of stuff. And he would just constantly, constantly blame me and ride me and threaten me that he was going to the PM and to the union he was going to complain. So one time we were shooting out at the airport. You never want to shoot at the airport. It's a logistical nightmare. Anyways, we're on the tarmac and it was a night shoot and I got my truck and, uh, the reunion says that after three hours of starting work on a film set, you've got to feed the crew something hot. It's called a substantial, a subs. So in three hours after call time, you got to give them something hot. It's not a full meal. It could just be a little bit of macaroni or a hot ha- sandwich or something, but you've got to give them something warm to get them to lunch time. Heaven forbid film crew people uh, have to go hungry. There's already a table with tons of food, but anyways, they've got to have this. So I kept saying uh, to the electrics, of course, who the gaffer I think is the manager of, that I don't have electricity. And I kept saying to the PM, I production manager, I don't have electricity. Anyways, um, the reason I didn't have electricity, because we're on the tarmac out in the middle of the airport, and it was a logistical nightmare, right? Like I said, don't shoot at airports. Anyways, um, I kept saying, I'm going to miss subs, I'm going to miss subs. And the, sure enough, I did. And then the gaffer came on and he was like, took one look at me and he was like, where's the subs? And I said, well, they're not ready. I don't have electricity. Well, we're in... He didn't even think that he was the key... He was the manager of the of the, of the the electrics, that maybe his team was responsible for giving me uh, electricity. He was just too... He was like, I got you. I got you. We are in meal penalty. We are in meal penalty. And he started saying it, not to me, but out aloud to whoever would listen with me nearby. Anyways, he went to the PM and he complained and it was, you know, I mean, meal penalty. If you go in meal penalty, that's like, I don't know, a hundred bucks a person for every 15 minutes that you're late and a hundred people on the crew. You do the math. It's insane. But I didn't care. I was so done at that point And I knew my ass was clear because I wasn't my problem. I couldn't cook the subs because I didn't have electricity. Anyways, long story short, that film shoot was so horrible. I did not even show up for the next day, which was like the last day of the shoot, and it was like with the rap party. I didn't. I had just, I had been ridden by this director the whole time, and then this gaffer that just was relentless with me. They just felt like they just crapped all over me for 28 days or whatever. So I just, I just blew off the last day. I don't even think I worked for that craft service company. I think I did a couple of other like replacement days here and there, but I was like, I got to get out of here. This is a horrible lifestyle. Some of these people are horrible. You know, you're working insane hours and they just don't even have any human decency with each other. Um, And I'd come off such a great movie set where the crew was awesome and I was doing my job to this one where I just could do no good. And from that day on, I had anxiety every time I walked past a film set. You know, I'd see them shooting, I'd see those trucks, and my stomach would just turn. So, long story short, you know, 
10 years later, I continue on with my career. I get out of film and I go into television, which to me is always a little bit more civilized. Um, and now I, I'm okay. I'm in a good spot, people. I'm all right. I've got my own production company. It's a small boutique company, but I love it. I've got a team that I've built that I'm managing, and uh, I'm not giving people crap for uh, stuff that's out of their control. Anyway, so we drove past this film set, and I proudly said, everybody look to your left. There's a movie set, and they're filming a big movie right there, and probably somebody's crapping on somebody for for unnecessary reasons. Anyways, that's my story. Um, we went on and had a tour of Much Music. Man, it's changed a lot. It used to be a really crazy, cool building with lots of television happening at any time, you know, when Much was was really in its prime and they had VJs and everything. Of course, now it's all changed because the programming has changed. It's just a lot of TV shows and not so much music videos with VJs. So the vibe of the building, I felt, had changed kind of more corporate. They also seemed to have more brands and channels than they had space for. You know, stuff was just jam-packed everywhere. But it was great. The team enjoyed to see it. Amit took us around. It was the weekend of the Video Music Awards. So we got to actually hear, not see, but hear the Arkells rehearsing and see behind the stage. It was it was fun. I think the team enjoyed it. So that brings me to my interview with Amit. Uh, we had a great interview. Uh, it was an odd one because my team sat in on it because they had nowhere else to go. But... Uh, no, I think they, they found it informative as well, and I think you will too. So uh, let's go to the interview. So we're here at the Bell Media Studios. I, I see the new sign down there. or Yep, it's been uh, Bell Media Studios for, uh, I think, better part of 2017. It was a good uh, conscious decision to do so. And we're moving towards content, yeah, and uh, which is great. So, what's your what's your role here, Amit? Uh, I work as a supervising producer, director, and writer for Bell Media Creative Agency. And um, in specific, I do brand partnerships and commercial production for the Bell Media Creative Agency. We are the agency of record for Bell Media, and we handle clients externally, and we service them through Bell Media properties. So, I'm I'm going to just paraphrase that you make commercials we make of. branded content and commercials. branded Both. content yeah. okay and okay and you're right we do make commercials for clients which are completely client commercials there's no brand integration there's no um, bell media property integration either we do full-on brand sales that's what they're called so yeah. we we are a production house for clients too I'm just trying to simplify it for our audience who are like, what's his job? What does he do? So basically, you're a supervising producer. Yep. I'm a supervising producer for the Bell Media Creative Agency. It's an agency. It's like an ad agency. It's a creative agency, which is a hybrid, which is like a broadcast agency and an advertising agency all blended into one. And we have that unique advantage. And we service uh, external clients like Coca-Cola, Virgin, BlackBerry, countless clients and we give them uh, unique opportunities to partner with our brands which are specialty brands and ctv which is a conventional channel specialty channels we have a lot of them we have amazing successful um, personalities who are attached to the channels that's what makes us unique we are able to offer unique brand partnership opportunities to combine our brand with theirs right and we are also able to on addition to that service clients by doing their commercials for them. 
Right. So commercial director, mm-hmm. I'm just going to simplify. Do you also uh, direct music videos? Yes. That's on the on the side. That's a, with the that blessing like, of my bosses, which is good. Very nice. That sounds like the fun side. It is a good side. It's It actually helps you exercise your uh, creative muscles in a different way because you're not uh, thinking about brand standards. You're not thinking about, you're not beholden to a certain aesthetic. Y- y- your mind is pretty much painting a new picture so to speak and music videos have always been known for that to exercise your creative juices a different way i think and um we all appreciate it because it kind of helps you foray into films in a in a different way okay so let's go back to the beginning and is this something that you always knew you wanted to do um i always knew i wanted to be in television really coming from india and being from a family of bankers, really? uh, that was something that I kind of knew when I was 14, maybe. Really? Yeah, I always knew that I was going to end up in the creative field. And uh, to, be fair to, my, to be fair to my parents, they were really encouraging in that. And they really helped me transition from, you know, a non-conventional Indian uh, <laughs> lawyer, banker, doctor sure. or something else to someone creative and took a chance on it. And and here I am. I think it worked out pretty okay. So when you were 14, how did that manifest itself? Uh, I was playing in a band already. I was, uh, I was uh, not going out playing sports, playing in bands. And well, I was doing karate and bands and there was a choice. I had to like... I had to literally choose between my wrist being flexible or not. And right. uh, I chose to play the guitar instead of becoming a black belt. And I kind of knew that was my passion. And then that transitioned into meeting some interesting people and then uh, going into television after that. So did you study uh, television oh, communication? I am an accountant by trade. Really? By actually by, um, by qualifications. I have a Bachelor of Commerce. Get out of here. Yeah, this never is used it, though. <laughs> never had to, hopefully. So you went and studied. Yeah. You, what, did you do that as an obligation to your parents just to say, well, yeah, okay? Yeah, funny you mentioned that, because the thing is that at at uh, just before my 18th birthday, I remember I, I was at the MTV studios, and because of my... Uh, the the fact that I was exposed to a lot of people through my bandmates and everyone else, because we were touring already at like 17 and a half. So Around I, India. Around India, yeah, yeah. We, we played to like 10,000 people. Wow. It was amazing. It was great. So I, I kind of met interesting MTV guys and uh, Channel V guys. Channel V is the same as MTV in India. And uh, so I was at an MTV interview and they really, really, really liked what I talked about and everything else. And they're like, oh, do you want to become a VJ? I was like, okay, that's pretty interesting. I never thought about that. And um, so I, I went back home and I was like, dad, what do you think? That's like, you know you're going to last probably two years as a VJ and then is, you know, anything kind of happen. but this degree, you need this degree because you can have this degree for falling back, like a fallback plan. Yeah. So as long as you get a degree, you can do whatever the hell you want after that. And, uh, so the degree took time and I kind of <laughs> gave up on the VJ dream for a couple of years. And then after I'd graduated, actually, even before I graduated, I went and got a job in Channel V working as an uh, intern for three months. And Really? They really liked what I did. And then I became an associate producer. And then I became a producer. And then I left for Singapore 
So you've always been, let me, yeah. you've always been drawn sort of the music side of it, I guess, is what kind of pulled yeah, you in. Yeah. The music's always been the f- number one catalyst for it. It's yeah. been the driving force. It's still the reason I kind of got the much job here because I actually launched Much Music Malaysia with uh, colleagues of mine in, in my Singapore days. Yeah. And uh, I had that connection even before. I was just like fate or luck or whatever you might call it. When I came back to Canada, I was the first person I approached was the head of Bell Media Creative. And um, they saw that I had a much connection. And Wow. Okay, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's go go back here. So you intern at uh, Channel V. Yes. Which is a uh, MTV-like channel in Asia, Asia and India. Yeah. Uh, What was that like, interning? It was a crazy ride, man. It was a, I was a 17, not oh. even an 18-year-old yeah. kid who was like, uh, you know, the lost puppy of the group. And they took pity on me always. Took me out for free drinks all the time, which is great. Yeah. Uh, that's all I really remember. But I did a lot Because of, of all those free drinks. All those free drinks. But actually, I did a lot of solid work. And, and they really liked um, that I took initiatives. And I actually had my own shows in two years. I, I was producing my own shows in two years. That was kind of unheard of. I think it was only me and one other, one other intern who kind of took that kind of initiative. Right. And we both kind of been successful at what we do, or moderately successful, as I call it. So, um, but it was it was a wild ride, man. It was uh, it was 1998, I believe, yeah. and and music was music television was well and alive, and it was amazing. It was a good time to be in Channel V. It was a good time because you you really had these amazing caliber of artists passing through your doors and you had the opportunity to always interview them and like really have in-depth interviews, really have substance behind what you editorially did. So it was a very good time to be a graduate of music in a way. And from there you went to? From there I actually saved up, resigned over Yahoo Messenger. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I went to Singapore. An early adapter of technology there, resigned yeah, right, over right. the internet. Yeah, it was, it was pretty progressive, I might say. <laughs> like, uh, I had a wonderful time in Channel V. It was an amazing time. It was my friends and colleagues to this day, they were really kind to me. And, uh, but I, I thought, I thought of that, you know, really, I got to take this one step further. How, how long had you uh, been there? I'd been there about four years, I believe. Okay. Think so early twenties now, and you felt yeah. it's time to yeah, make I a move. Yeah, I was twenty-one or so, okay. and then I, I felt it was time to sort of grow my wings a bit. I had an interview lined up with MTV in Singapore, which uh, didn't amount to anything. But I also had an interview lined up with an ex-Channel V VJ, who was huge in in um, Asia. His name's Danny McGill, and he took a chance on me. He hired me on the spot. I burned my ticket back home, stayed back in Singapore, wow. and uh, had a really successful run with his company for two years. And then uh, did my real career from music into, uh, I would say, on-air promos started with HBO. So, still in Singapore. Still in Singapore, yeah. So you shifted over from Channel V to yeah. HBO. Those are two different companies as well, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Like yeah. HBO, again, I'm not counting everything as luck but i think it was kind of like really good in terms of transitioning because um the company that i was working with we basically did what we had set out to do it was uh venture capitalist funded and it ran its course 
and I was out looking for a job and um, I had a friend uh, who had a connection at HBO sent in my reel they really liked it young promo producer who hadn't really done a promo and they took a chance on me and um, it actually worked out really well why didn't you stay in India why did you I think India India was a different aesthetic and um, India is still India is very much its own aesthetic yeah. it's it's as as anybody who's worked in India or as anybody who's visited India for that purpose they would know it's like the world inside of India that's what you work with and I had the advantage of speaking three languages there so I could kind of blend in and do things but I was always kind of drawn towards aesthetics of doing something outside and also drawn towards adventure so I always wanted to travel a lot so yeah. why not combine that and also combine my love for television and try to see so I took a gander and kind of paid off in Singapore it was just lucky but Singapore seems like a, a fairly easy city to transition to yeah you know it's very cosmopolitan strong connection to India and the rest of Asia what was difficult was Hong Kong which comes what? next really yeah <laughs> which is where I met your friend <laughs> yeah and uh, you're from uh, Hong Kong for yeah a that's while, how our so. paths crossed yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so you moved from music television which I I gotta think is like pretty vibrant and exciting and youth-oriented into promos for HBO which may not have that same vibe Oh, no, it did not have that same vibe. <laughs> it, uh, it was completely uh, different, but uh, different in a good way. HBO's, uh, again, HBO Singapore during those times where it was a very nascent time for them. It was, uh, it was like launching, it was rebranding, and HBO Singapore had a lot of autonomy about what they did. It wasn't just a packaging house, so to speak. They did their own uh, on-air campaigns, they did their own innovative uh, branding they did a lot of stuff which actually made me excited about joining the right. company and uh, and uh, they were really nurturing in terms of like young talent which is what i liked it was a home for a lot of people for a long time be that may be a good thing or a bad thing i don't know but i really personally liked that and uh, it was a different stable kind of environment from all the turmoil that you go through with you know music television being what it is it, it had a high turnover is it because so. it's so many young people yeah they're just really hungry they're just really yeah like, yeah yeah young people who are so hungry and who are so tenacious and who need to be somewhere at a certain time who are trying to prove themselves trying to move up the ladder trying to mar make their own marks so like if, if i had looked at i've looked at videos of myself and i've said what a jackass you know so <laughs> Like, I've seen myself during my music television days, my auditioning days, and my time when I was trying to be a VJ. And I was a VJ, by the way. I you skipped were. the story for one year. Yeah. And I hated it. VJ, and so on, on air talent, you hated it. I was a correspondent, meaning a producer slash on air talent. Ooh, yeah. And I absolutely did not like the VJ part of it. And uh, why, particularly? It was just, it was, it was strange. In, I wouldn't call it necessarily was strange in uh, channel v it was just strange for me yeah it was so this just, was in singapore this was in india oh, in back. india okay. i skipped that part i yeah. was a i did i did attain my ambition of becoming an honor person <laughs> and then as soon as you did it you realized pretty quickly as soon as i, I realized it this. i was like i gotta be out of here yeah and that's when i went to actually singapore to try to get out of that whole yeah vj circle were you uncomfortable being on air like it was a little un uncomfortable only because you're trying to like it's different when you're in the spotlight and yeah. there's and especially if there's 
a crowd of 200 people just gathered out of nowhere watching you trying to deliver your lines. I've, I've heard stories about filming in India. Oh, the yeah. crowd likes to gather pretty quick. It, and it gathers pretty quick. Yeah. And <laughs> any sort of even small celebrity, if they've seen you on television a couple of times. Yeah. It's difficult to try to remember what you're trying to say and make yeah. sense of it. I've heard stories of like cameramen trying to get a shot of just a news correspondent and people, gentlemen, are just yeah. coming up and looking in the viewfinder and pressing buttons. Oh, yeah. They're a very oh, interactive yeah. crowd there. Yeah, it is a, It is pretty <laughs> handful. But uh, we had a lot of fun the one year that I was there. But it was, it was definitely not something that I wanted to do as a career. It yeah. was something that was good fun. I tried it out. It's like... You know what? I got this off my checklist. It's a good bucket list thing to do, but it's time to move on. Do you think it gave you a better sensibility of working with talent? Unnecessarily talent, 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 talent. This is like a jaded producer speaking. Right, right. You you got talents. You got to just direct what comes from your instincts. You there's no way you can sympathize if you are an ex talent or not. Yeah, it just comes with your experience on a lot of things but uh no this this is a bit of an aside then as a director how do you view view talent because there are some directors that just love talent and are so sensitive to their talent and then there are some of which i may be a part of that just view them as another tool on set to do the job Uh, i think i'm a i'm a mix between what you are and what you did describe right formally um but at the same time i think there's a threshold there's a vision that needs to be executed. A talent brings a lot. Like, I think actors bring a lot yeah. of things to that. And I've, I've realized that more and more trying to do narrative work. They definitely bring something that you would not expect. And they would definitely bring their own personality to it. But at the same time, it's not a sign of weakness. But it's a sign of knowing exactly what you want. And you have to stay true to, true to that. You have to really stray, not stray from that. If you do not stay true to that, there is a reason that that was your vision. There is a reason that you want it executed a certain way. There's leeways, there's allowances. Sure. But you can't take a 360-degree turn and expect it to turn out the way you wanted it. If you're really open to too much influence. Yeah. That. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you are responsible. Yeah. You're in the edit room trying and to make And I've thought about this often enough. This is not about you being 40 years old. This is not about you being set in your ways. This is about your singularity of executing your vision yeah. the way you want it. Right. True. Good. Okay. So you're at HBO and you decide you're enjoying it, working under good creative directors. Yeah. How do you find, because you're creative... Yeah. And, you know, like you just say, you're trying to stay home. This kind of segues from what you just said, trying to stay true to your vision. Now, you may lack a lot of experience, but what's it like working under a creative director and the creative directors that you've worked with? What's that relationship like? Honestly, I was a baby at HBO. Yeah. And people people took really good care of me. That's the only fond and the only memory that I have of HBO. Really? In a good way. Yeah. It was no conflict. And my creative directors took a chance on me. And um, all of my creative directors were actually women. Oh, really? And, and they were amazing individuals, very successful at what they did. One of them actually lives now in Toronto. Oh, and okay. we still keep in touch. Yeah. And I worked on HBO and Cinemax. And then I took over HBO India uh, as the principal producer. And I was there for four years after. Yeah. And uh, they've been really supportive. 
they've really encouraged me to do stuff which I would have thought was not on brand, right. but it turned out to be on brand and it won awards as a result of that. And that, I believe, comes from a very trusting environment that they created. Yeah. And um, it was like, I don't think there was any conflict at that part or any passion that they didn't encourage me to follow through. It wasn't like anything was squashed. It wasn't like anything was said, no, this is too, you know, this is too out of the box. Everything was encouraged, analyzed, looked at, and then executed in a nice way. So honestly, I've had wow. the fondest of memories. That seems like a dream situation. It was a dream there. situation. I do have only fond memories of HBO. So then why did you leave? HBO <laughs> was uh, when I was, uh, HBO was a time when I was, I think, 26 and I was already getting restless. I do have a tendency of getting restless. I think that every creative inside does yeah. at some point of their lives before they really grow up. And they have to kind of plant roots and have a family. And I, I want to take advantage of just going everywhere, traveling everywhere, seeing everything. Yeah. I had that in me even when I was 15. And now I've kind of had a little bit of settling down and my first, our first baby's on the way. No, so congratulations on that. You. That's great. Yeah. So uh, I think HBO gave me a great opportunity. I did move on to MGM after that and i was freelancing at disney at the same time and um i think creatively mgm gave me a little bit more opportunity for uh doing stuff that i wanted to transition to in a more senior role yeah and uh they afforded to do they afforded me to do that for a little while for about launching the channel and having that under my you know under my sort of cv to have a complete channel launch under my CV to kind of grow a little bit more. So I took that opportunity because of that. But you weren't really uh, content to just sort of stay in one place and then like, okay, producer, senior producer, no, assistant I mean, creative director, and then, you know. Yeah, work. HBO has a very stable culture. Yeah. And not many people leave because of that. Because they all got families and they all yeah. need the jobs. And also they don't really like leaving because it is a really nice environment yeah. in there and if you've got a nice stable job and everything is really safe and inviting in a good way and and the creative environment is really collaborative i i think you would want to stay but right in my case the reasoning was not because i wasn't content it was because i was restless to travel and move around a lot and also MGM offered me a little different, a little difference of opportunity in terms of like doing something which was like launching a channel. Yeah. So, and then MGM took off, and I was there for one year, and it was after that that I planned to move to Hong Kong. What got the little bug in your ear to go to Hong Kong? Hong Kong, as much as I loved the the country and the and the city. Uh, as a tourist destination and as a place to visit and as a place that I actually made really good friends in was uh, a bit of a mistake. Going to Hong Kong. Going to Hong Kong. Why? For was the career. For the career. Not for, uh, and for the, the money. Yeah. For sure. Because as you know, in Hong Kong, no amount of money in our industry is going to float your bills. It's an expensive city. It's a very expensive city, but it's a lovely city. It's a great city yeah. to 
uh, be in and you don't have uh, be to you don't have of. to be the tourism board of hong kong is not listening to my podcast i know you but i actually enjoyed my time in hong kong <laughs> it's it? just the problem was that i accepted too little yeah in terms of did money. you go there for a job or did you go and i then... got hired by star tv in hong kong okay so did they poach you or did you they poached me for um, during Promaxes, I think. Yeah. And that's where you kind of make your contacts. Promax is the awards for on-air promotions. Yeah. There's that's an where Asian one and then there's an international one yeah. in New York. Yeah. yeah. I think the Asian ones are really good networking tools. Yeah. And um, I actually got most of my jobs after HBO through Promax. If anybody is listening for <laughs> job hunting skills outside of LinkedIn. Is uh, Promaxes, they work. They work. They work. They work. If you're really careful and you don't drink more than two beers, they definitely work. Because <laughs> yeah. after that, you could undo all after of the. After that, work you could that... undo everything you did and more. <laughs> yes, yes, I've heard you some could stories. Be recognized for days. <laughs> so you go to Star TV, which is a yeah. big broadcaster. They have Channel V. They have uh, movie channels, Chinese channels, Indian channels, all broadcast out of Hong Kong. Yeah. So what you're saying is. They, they, the deal that they offered you and that you accepted, it, it just wasn't enough to make a living. There. It was good enough for Singapore because I kind of thought about it in Singapore yeah. money. And then I was like, oh my God, Hong Kong is like five times more expensive. Yes. How did I land myself into this? Yeah. Well done, Amit. Well done. <laughs> um, well, that accounting degree did not come in handy there, did it? No, no, no. no. But um, my girlfriend at that time was really mad at me for even making that decision. Did she go with you? She moved with me. She relented. She screamed. She yeah. had a fit at me, but she moved to Hong Kong with me. She is uh, subsequently really successful in the news business there. Yeah. And in China, in Beijing. And that's amazing. That's that's great that it worked out it for worked her. It worked out for her. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm very happy about that. But I did uproot my life, our lives yeah. at that time from Singapore, just because, again, uh, it was just a restless time. So what I was so? How did it manifest itself? What was so tough about that? Just, um, you know, here's the thing. This is an Indian guy who comes from India, who was born in India, takes a leap of faith, goes to Singapore. It works out for him for five years. Takes another ill-advised leap of faith to go to Hong Kong and the, the advantage in Singapore was most of the Singaporeans spoke English, understood English, communicated to you in English and were friendlier in general. You're going to Hong Kong after the handovers happened and you don't know anybody except for two people. Everyone kind of speaks to you in English a little bit, right. but not a lot. It's a, it's a very different sort of environment from when i was there during award season yeah for mgm and being wined and dined and being being in a beautiful place and living in shangri-la right i'm like this is amazing i have to move <laughs> to hong kong all right king, i'm gonna do yeah. it so uh star tv does offer me the job i'm like whoa this is great this is way more money than i was making in singapore let's move and yeah. then and then when i do move it's like oh my god it's amazing like what what did i just do um i've just got to take stock of it and i've got to move i've I've got to move with the punches right roll with the punches and yeah. i did and it worked out but i knew that two years of staying in hong kong was enough because 
this time it wasn't because of the restlessness. This time it was because of financial responsibility. Right. right. The accountant in me was screaming, you cannot <laughs> sustain this. You cannot sustain wow. this lifestyle. You cannot sustain this. So you were in on-air promotions there? Yeah, I was, I was working for um, Star Movies. Okay. For the Indian feed. And then you were there two years? I was there two and a half years. Okay. And so you, who did you work with that connected us then? Jason? I think it was Jason and uh, Bill McQueen. Okay, Bill. I worked under Bill. Yeah. And uh, Bill, Bill and me had a lot of drinks together. Though. Oh, yeah. We we're good friends. He's a good guy to have some drinks with. We we're good friends, yeah. yeah. No, I like Bill. Yeah. I he, like Bill. He's, uh, he's done well for himself, I guess, he recently. Is. Bill, actually, I'd like to give him a shout out because he, he was one of the rare people who actually helped me transition to Dubai and even loaned me some money because Hong Kong was that expensive. Really? After I'd paid everything off. When you said to your bosses, I'm not making this work, like financially this is not happening, what was their response? Hong Kong um, was a very cut and dry environment in terms of work. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, if you're a family person, you can appreciate that a lot because you came in at night and you were expected to leave at five. You left your work behind. That was it. I really appreciated that part of that wasn't Star that TV. wasn't the Fox when I worked there because oh, no. Star turned into Fox Star and that became you come in at as soon as you can and you leave when the work is done. No, Star yeah, was well, very regimented in a good way. You I came think in. That's why they went under and Fox was able to take <laughs> them and go. You're paying too much. Everybody too much for too little. I don't know if there were big differences between Nat Geo or Fox salaries and Star TV salaries. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was. I didn't know Turner was paying decent coin. And, Turner um, was I had good friends at best. Turner. I actually should have stuck around because Turner was informally poaching me. And I should have done the right thing and stuck around in Singapore and waited my time till I got the job I really wanted, which was... With Turner, I settled for Star. But you didn't know that. I didn't. I, I was. I was twenty six. Who cares? I mean, like I'm traveling from Singapore to Hong Kong. And you that's sounded what I like you about. had a very good run. You did the jump from India to Singapore. You, yeah. you moved around. You did freelancing for a bit. Hey, yeah. you're allowed one stumble now and then. Yeah, I did. I definitely think of Hong Kong as my building block, but in in a, in a way that it's positive, not in a way that it's negative. Did it ever make you want to leave the industry? No. No. No, I I've, I've haven't become, even now, knock on wood, that jaded to leave the industry. Because honestly, this is what I know. This is what I know. Yeah. This is what I do. This is what I know. This is what I'm a specialist at. This is more than 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 hours, whatever you may call it, to become a specialist. Right. But that's an interesting turn. I'll, I'll talk to you about being a generalist as a director versus a specialist. So yeah. We can talk about that. Sure. Because we were talking, I was talking with, about that with Berman. Yeah. Being a jack of all trades versus, and a master of none versus really getting in and specializing. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the more I go, I've been a director now for about a decade. Uh, before that, I was an honor producer. Um, and the opportunities were less to learn that. So my learning curve has been pretty steep, if you may call that, and you have to learn a lot of things. Uh, the jack of all trades is very true, and you're barking orders, and you're like giving yeses and nos and split moments, and you have to kind of take it all in and make sure everything is running smoothly, your hands are in 10 different things, and you're making it all work. But at the same time, 
this is something that everyone should take away from this is you can be you can be a jack of all trades but you really got to know your craft right you've got to know your lensing you've got to know your camera a little bit not like your dop or your cinematographer but you've got to know stuff you can't rely on everyone else figuring that out for you because it's not any secret sauce anymore all the source code information for everything is out in the world there's yeah. no excuse for you not to know that and if you know that it empowers you so it's no excuse oh i'm a director i am the general of all everything and right. i'm gonna just like let it slide and not know my shit and back it up right you have to back it up you have to have reasoning it can't be like i'm just here to direct the actors no you've got to know uh, things about composition you've got to know things about editorial you've got to know all of that because otherwise it's just going to be you being in a pile of other directors who are wanting to be directors so yeah. what what do you as far as your background what strength has lent itself to your directing oh i i, I can i can say without a doubt the biggest strength that i've had as a director for me that has helped me a lot has been my 20 odd years of editing but yeah i think that's a great yeah. way to help an editor to see how things are going to yeah. go put together and post totally like i can envision that and i take pride in the fact that i can know how to edit everything in my head already and figure that out and know precise things about those things but the learning curve for catching up on other skills has been pretty steep and you have to because you have to kind of keep at it because you know you're expected to walk into a situation and take control and know about stuff and people rely on you and you need to have things to back that up you can't just go by instinct so what do you have to say about this uh, what i heard is that there are only two entry jobs on a film set production assistant and director <laughs> have you heard that yeah that's true <laughs> because at a lot of times somebody can just get a gig maybe they were an art director and then they kind of got yeah. in they're on set here they are yeah i know i mean that's true but at the same time i think the good directors or the decent directors would tell you that that you have to kind of back it up yeah because you have to kind of know the respect part of it and know that you know you can be caught out in a minute whether you're full of shit or whether you're actually worth your salt right you know and you gotta not have that illusion created around you that you get so boxed in that you're against the wall you need to back out of it all the time right so how much does confidence pay into that too oh man confidence is in my case personally speaking is it was acquired it wasn't swagger or walk-in it was acquired it was acquired on a lot of mistakes, on yeah. a lot of sets, on a lot of things, on things that I'm embarrassed about, but I, you, you forge on and you have to do it. You have to forge on. Yeah. This is, this is what I've learned in my 40 at birthday or a little like I'm 41 this year. This is kind of what I've learned from the last two years. You've, you've got to pretty much uh, know that you're going to make horrible mistakes and be okay with it. Yeah. And then build the confidence out of that. Do you sleep well before a, set, uh, a shoot? Uh, before I used to be really jittery. Yeah. Now I sleep like a baby. Good for you. Yeah. And that just comes with experience, I guess. No, I don't, I, I don't. It's two hours before I go to shoot. And I, I've looked at my shot list one last time. I 
And I'm surrounded by an amazing team that I've worked with constantly that take care of me and I don't have to worry about stuff. Yeah. Because the, the more you get into that phase of employing people or be working or collaborating with people who you can trust and who you know can back you up, you're going to be okay. But if you ask me, well, if I get jittery on a set that I don't know, yeah, I would get a little jittery still because you're working with unknown variables, right? right? In right. Canada, I have this team that I work with constantly. But if I were to direct an Indian commercial or an Indonesian commercial or a Malaysian commercial or if I was going abroad for two days and you're under the gun because you're paying, being paid so much money for two days of directorial work and you're working with foreign crews, you're working with foreign creative directors, it's it's like going it's into war yeah. without knowing who you're fighting with. Do they really have my back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we got a little off topic there, but really, that's, I think, some really good experience that you shared there. So you're done with Hong Kong. You ship off to Dubai? Yeah. Is that- I, Dubai was a very conscious decision. Yeah. I was actually looking for a job in Hong Kong. <laughs> and again, I, I actually uh, finagled my way into Promax Singapore and yeah. uh, met uh, my future employers in Dubai. And um, it was a done deal in... in um, in a year's time. Yeah. Are you are you carrying around a demo reel at that time? Or, or what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, I to- mean, Dubai was uh, just, again, being built up from the sands, as to speak, right? So, yeah. like, they were looking for foreign talent. And yeah. they were aggressive looking for foreign talent. And they did like my reel. And I always carry my reel everywhere. Now it's just transitioned to here's my website. Right, right. Before it was a lot of CDs. I still have some <laughs> CDs left in my bag somewhere <laughs> that I used to pass around. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, we did, we did carry a lot of reels around. How was Dubai then? Dubai what, was fantastic. What channels were those? That was NBC. It's like the CTV of Canada. Yeah, it's huge in Dubai. Huge, huge. And, NBC, uh, NBC, uh, NBC. Oh, and NBC. Mother. Yeah, and uh, they have um, the biggest reach for the Saudis. Saudis is their okay. real market. So uh, I did on-air promotions for NBC movies there. And uh, it was the most comfortable gig I've had in my life. <laughs> I so don't think those are long the days career. there. No, right? no. It, yeah. And it was uh, like a beach holiday every day. And the money was great and it was tax-free. Wow. Why did I leave? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you there? Five and a half years. Five and a half years? Oh, that's substantial then. Yeah, yeah. So I, I ushered in my 30s in Dubai. And uh, it was it was phenomenal. And I do know reason. I do know the reason why I left. My family was in Canada, and uh, my PR status was running out. So I had to make a choice whether I was going to be um, in Canada or I was going to be in India or Dubai. You know? H- had you so. studied here like a little bit then? Go in to Canada, no, no, no. I, got a, I, I came as a skilled worker, as a as a immigrant, as a permanent resident. Right. So, at so, what age? Um, I migrated here 2007, which while I was in Hong Kong, just did my landing, went back and got the job in Dubai, stayed as long as I could. Oh, okay. And then came here and settled down after that. But your mom and dad were here or? No, no. I'm born in India. But when you say family was here. Oh, my brother and his wife have been here for the better part of 15 years. So they migrated before me. So I had a reason to actually come. Yeah. Sorry, I should have explained that. Yeah. My my parents are still in India. Yeah. Oh, okay. So five and a half years, Dubai, you 
are coming to Toronto. 2010. Now that, if my memory serves me, I think you came without a job, right? Did you just... I came without a job. I had a bit of savings. I was always going to set up a business here and work work on my own because I was a little jaded and tired of uh, working full time. I wanted a little bit of break and do something on my own. Yeah. I was unemployed for 18 days, got a little restless, asked around poked around, found a few contacts, met, uh, uh, sorry, got an email contact, uh, sent my reel in, uh, my future boss from here, um, found it really interesting, called me in, did an interview, got the job. So I've kind of been unemployed for 18 days in my life. Wow, that's pretty good. Actually, that's exceptional. That's pretty okay. Because everybody (laughs) I know, including myself, when we've made the transition from one, especially one country to another, yeah. we went through like this one year of sort of dormancy. Yeah. And uh, I know uh, Faisal, who's another commercial director. Do you know Faisal? I think you, t- you might have mentioned yeah. him earlier. Commercial director yeah. out of Malaysia. He went through the same thing when he right. went solo. Berman Lamb. Yeah. No? Um, same thing. A year seemed to be it. So 18 days. That's, that's pretty good. You know, there's an interesting story to that. Um, obviously, the Much Music connection from Malaysia helped. Yeah. A little bit because I had that on my resume. So that might have resonated with uh, my creative director boss here and uh, the vice president who saw my reel initially. The interesting nugget was, and this is what I wanted to kind of speak to about to everyone around us today. And also my team is here. My team's sitting in uh, the team that works at Rainy Media. They're here. So I hope you guys are not falling asleep. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Probably me. No, no, they have to, they have, they're sick of putting, <laughs> listening to me all day. So, yeah, the, the, the main thing that I did want to say was disruption is what I did. And the reason I did the disruptive stuff is I did music videos in Dubai on my own money because there wasn't enough directorial opportunities where I worked because I was still an on-air promo producer. So you were producing promos for yeah. a broadcast network and then on the outside? I was doing music videos. For just bands that you would bands find? bands that I found. And uh, again... I did the disruptive thing by saying, you know what? If you don't have money, I will put my own money wow. because I want to practice and I want to know about this. And I got, I've been blessed. I've been lucky with like, I got an airplane hangar for free. I wow. got, I got fighter jets for free and we, we did amazing stuff. Only in was, Dubai. Only in Dubai. It was, it was not like it was old fighter jets, but you know, they were, they were amazing. They yeah, were like for the, sure. You know, you're getting it for free and you're getting, you're getting to an air base and you're shooting right. a music video there. And then we did, uh, we did art gallery music videos. Some took actual good traction. So I built about seven music videos on my own money and some of the band's money and some of the artists money. And, uh, I got a lot of traction in MTV Arabia. People picked up articles and things like that. And also, I was effectively able to not wait around for opportunity to come to me. Right. I disrupted the system. Like nowadays, what technologies are doing, I said, no, I'm going to create the opportunity myself. I shot the videos. I had seven music videos worth of a demo reel, which you could show to people and say, look, I've shot this, I've directed this, you know, like I'm not waiting around for opportunity to happen. I'm making it happen. I know it's not possible all the time. Dubai had a bit of savings, but, you know, technology is caught up so much now that you, it is possible in a way. You can go and shoot stuff on a camera and make it look really good. Yeah. You don't have to wait around for things to happen. And that's exactly what I did. And I think that's what helped me secure my job in 
uh, Much Music Canada at that time because I had enough of a directorial reel to show off on top of my solid 20 years of experience, 15 years, sorry, 15 years of experience at that time with, uh, you know, blue chip companies. Yeah, they were music. The yeah. And a lot of music based Lo- background. Yeah, exactly. So I had all of that to yeah. compliment me. But I think the, the, the crowning jewel was the actual music video experience that I bought to the table. You get a lot of street cred for that, I probably. You do, you yeah. do. And, and that, I think, was uh, really the catalyst for me getting this job here, I think. So here you are, you're working, you're directing commercials, I've seen a lot of your work, really top shelf stuff. Thank you. But you're also getting to do music videos on the side. Yeah, I think uh, the first thing I spoke to my bosses about when I joined was like, look guys, do you mind if I still do music videos? Because that's my passion. Right. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't interrupt with, it doesn't really conflict with what you do here as commercials and, and uh, promos and content. Music videos are often and still seen as uh, art form. Yeah. It's not seen as commercial vehicles unless they're done for Britney Spears or big artists and they're looked at marketing material. They are marketing material. Don't get don't sure. get it wrong, but they're often seen as a lot of launching pads for artists who are trying to uh, do something different or for creators or directors who are trying to prove a different sort of metal, you know, than have a different sort of launch pad. How do you balance the cl- collaboration be- between your artistic vil- vil- vision for the sh- music video and the bands? Um, sometimes that hasn't worked out. You know, bands have certain strong visions and I've walked away from them. Have you? You just have to. Yeah. Because if you already know the vision you want to execute, uh, sometimes I can add something to it and sometimes I cannot. Right. And the, the times I cannot, I respectfully say, look, I think you guys know what you want and I might not be the right person for it. But in general, the collaboration's been pretty good and uh, it has been pretty even in terms of like, here's my idea. And uh, then I've taken that idea, made it my own and said, what do you think about this? And they're like, you know what? We didn't think about this, but this is good. This is yeah. great. We're we're vibing off it, and we'll make it. Let's do it, and uh, it worked out. It worked out for all the uh, all the artists that you see on my showreel are the ones that have been uh, a, a product of collaboration. Yeah. How do you connect with those artists? Do you do you pitch them? Do they seek you out now? Honestly, um, it was because of my work with uh, Much that I got noticed. That I, we, we did these things called uh, much uh, super artist IDs. And uh, part of that was me putting Arkells into space in a, in a, in a one-minute video. And uh, that was a huge success. Sam Roberts was another artist that uh, I kind of created this uh, low-poly, beautiful 3D environment for. And that got me noticed. And then... Lights approached me. That was my first music video in Canada of uh, for a major artist. Before I, I had done one more music video for another uh, now not existing band, but um, uh, Lights was my first launch pad into a proper. Not Sam Roberts. Sam Roberts was after. Oh, after okay. Lights. Because he's a pretty big name. Sam Roberts was great. Lights was like Lights was my official first yeah. music video in Canada. And then was Arkells and then was Sam Roberts. Okay. They're all amazing people. We've had great conversations, great laughs, and 
we've had good collaboration. Sam Roberts is the most, he's a gentleman and that band is phenomenal. Arkell's the same. They gave me a lot of creative freedom to do stuff. They trusted me with a lot of things, uh, especially when I pitched an interactive project when you can't envision what the end product is right. going to be for Arkell's. And it was a choose-your-own-adventure. So you really cannot envision what it's going to be right. till it's done. So they had blind faith, and uh, it worked out. So how important is your ability to tell the story before you even shoot it to sell to the band? Like, I is think that something you invest a lot of time in and crafting your pitch? Oh, yeah. Like, the pitch is... <laughs> the pitch is the creative process. Oh, my God. Like... The more I think about it nowadays, the more elaborate I'm getting. Call it old age. Right. And uh, the more difficult it is for me to cook it up within the timeline that I have. But doesn't mean that I make it easy for me. I do not make it easy. I walk away from projects and that's not out of ego or anything else. But the fact that I want to do better and uh, the fact that I want to do different and the fact that I want to actually do something that is going to challenge me. So the creative process is always two or three days of thinking about it, ruminating on it. You get the track. Frustrating on it. You get the track. You get the lyrics. You you kind of get frustrated a lot and then you go back to the drawing table again. It's not it's not a job for me. It is a passion. Right. I'm, I'm lucky to have a job supporting me. So music videos is not a vehicle to get it out fast and furious. It's really for me to prove and push boundaries, you know? So... For me, that's why I kind of pour in more time into it right. rather than, all right, we got to get this done within one month. And that's it. it Lights took, Lights, uh, Same C, Sam Roberts, uh, both of those videos took a good six months. Wow. From prep to final? I know there's a lot no, of... No, no, no. Six months of not prep to final. I would say eight months from prep to final. Really? Because they were effects heavy. They were done by one person for effects. I didn't have an effects team. And they were done by one person doing a lot of stuff for a lot of departments, you know. And um, we are fortunate to have amazing grant money for Canadian artists and Canadian directors. But it only goes so far before the money runs out. And, And also the amount of work we put in it it is worth clearly three times what the budget was what the budget was because we wanted to do it we wanted to prove that we can push the boundaries how sustainable is that like how many times can you do that on a project It's sustainable if you have a job yeah i guess it's not sustainable if that is your job you burn out pretty quick yeah if music videos is your job if that's your bread and butter can you even do that anymore like uh there are some uh, agencies that do that yeah, yeah and they yeah. make a good decent living out of it i wouldn't say only grant money is the single funding resource because a lot of artists do fund their own music videos outside of the grant system yeah and they do they do have big artists who do big music videos and that that is another source of revenue but it's not an easy business to be in no no just because of the finances just because yeah Totally. Well, the whole landscape of how they are distributed has completely changed yeah. since when you first got into it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, monetary concerns are really valid in this environment now, and uh, I think they will continue to be so. I think it's a 
it's going to be an interesting landscape. I mean, from the business point of view and from the heritage point of view. Yeah. It's a yeah. whole other episode right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are 41 yeah. now, and you're still working heavily in music television. No, well, we've transitioned over, actually. Uh, we have gone into handling all of Bell Media, yeah, which is um, two conventional channels and more than 25 specialty channels. We handle all of it. Sure. Okay. So, so a lot of commercials. When we started was much music only. And then we took over comedy and much. And now we do, we don't do, we're not on air promotions anymore. Yeah. We're sales, ad sales. But you don't feel old? In that environment? No. No. But if I had continued to stay in a music environment, maybe it would have been a, it would have been a different sort of um, sensibility. Yeah. I don't think you're old in necessarily in terms of relevance. If you feel like you're doing enough to keep up with the zeitgeist to what is happening, that doesn't mean you're following all the blogs. It doesn't mean... It, it, I think it's essentially you as a personality have to be up for being curious like David Lynch's or like anybody else's, you wouldn't call necessarily David Lynch old. You would just call him a master. Right. I think but, the point was, you know, sometimes creative jobs can be young for young people. Sometimes. Yeah, but I think it's how you adapt. I think I think that's that's a big that's a big debate I even have with my wife, and she always supports me the other way around. I I'm in your I'm on your side, yeah. and she's like, no, I think you just. You just adapt and you just have a different sort of perspective. It's not about getting old. I think it's just about like, uh, you know, having a dif different sort of perspective to add to it. I think that's a yeah. great attitude to have yeah. as a creative that's, uh, you know, uh, self-conscious myself. I It's a fear I have, right? I'm going to run out of ideas. I'm going to run out of what's happening. Always, Dean. As a creative, you're going to always have that fear. That is inherent in people who are in that in that sort of sphere. Creative is a very ethereal thing and you, you, you have to constantly fight yourself thinking you're the biggest fraud there was. <laughs> you will see that in every debate, yes. every consciousness, every seminar, everything that you dissect or distill is going to point to you being the biggest fraud ever. It's always... I think everybody feels that way. Everybody. I think anybody who cares enough about what so they do. So the old part of it is again a moot conversation in that respect alone and if you can get that out of your head this the more happier you will be i feel better already i mean thank you <laughs> okay so we're gonna wrap this up here cool. this has been great what advice would you have to somebody who's thinking about getting into the television or like music video um, production business i think you have to not wait for opportunities you really have to create opportunities, whether that be crowdsourcing, whether that be you doing your own cinema, you doing your own project. And you really have to not, you have to disrupt. I think disrupt is a big thing. That evolution has, the evolution of how you disrupt has changed, the, the, the means how you disrupt has changed, but the spirit has to stay 
a life. Like you have to be a pirate in your heart to be able to penetrate what we call the new media business. You have to be that innovator in every sense of the word to be able to do that and not wait for not wait in the sidelines for opportunities to come to you. And I think that personally worked for me because I really am an introvert, but I took the chances and I actually went up to people and I said, look, I have no idea what I'm doing, but look, I have all this passion. I have all this aptitude. I'm a fast learner. Let's do this. And then I also proved it by showing things to them. So there was proof of concept. There was proof in front of them. It was tangible. It's not all talk. You have to back it up. Sure. Everything has to come to full circle on that. <laughs> For sure. And what does the future hold? Are you are you not content? Are you getting restless? Will you move no, on? What are you I'm, working towards? I'm finally in a place I want to be yeah. in, which is good at 41 Yes. <laughs> to realize that. Um, I think I'm doing exactly what I was set to be doing. I don't think I've thought beyond that anymore. Not a good. more full narrative yeah, I mean, narrative is uh, narrative is a long-term game. Yeah, I, I am, I am working towards narrative. It's no like it's no secret to me. And we, I went through National Screen Institute, uh, Totally Television. Graduated with my writing partner there. We are making um, headway into narrative territory. I can't speak to it right now, but um, we are headed towards that. But it's definitely not um, something that is a hundred percent career move right. yet we hope to right we aspire to but uh, this is also I, I believe i'm a specialist at what i do and this is my career right so like in the narrative screen if someone else has a career as a program executive that's their career so for me commercials is my career it's where i'm from right that's right Okay. Narratives. So we, we, we close off every episode with a film term of the day. Okay. So I give it to you. You try to tell me what it, what it, what it means. Okay. On the day. On the day. On the day. So I can use that in the, in the, in a sentence would be, um, we'll go with the blue wig on the day. Right. So that's, that's pretty. Have you heard uh, that one? No, no. You haven't heard that one? No. It means when we're filming it. On the when day. it's happening, yeah, yeah, on the day. So a lot of decisions that you're making yeah. as a director, you're making them now. We'll definitely think then, about the two costumes on the day. Exactly. How about that? That's perfect. You know exactly. There you go. <laughs> I've actually never <laughs> used that. But like uh, if there's explosions, we'll do it on the day, not on rehearsal. Often it's, we'll do it within a minute, but it's usually two days later. <laughs> I know. Because you you're go. waiting around. <laughs> Half the time you're just waiting around, right? It should be like... We should do it on the waiting around day. How about that? <laughs> that sounds probably more correct. Yeah, accurate, then. Yeah, yeah, more accurate. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Amit. This has been great. Thank you. Appreciate it. I hope you guys didn't doze off again. <laughs> They're hanging in there. They got a long car ride home. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Okay, cool. There you have it. If you ever wondered, how do you become a music video director? Well, that is one way to get the gig. Uh, Meet has a very interesting story there, and I hope you uh, enjoyed that. I want to thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can check us out online. We're at videotwins.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Just send us a note, and uh, we'll be in touch. We're pretty responsive people around here, 
and we'd like to hear more feedback from you so that we can tailor these episodes to what you want to hear and to what you need to know. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you later. Later.